Gratitude is a mindset shift. It's not just like a one-time thing that you tell yourself to do. And this was something that I have really tried to incorporate in my life is you don't even think questions like, why me? You condition your mind to be always focused on gratitude so that those thoughts don't even come in. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses, but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it. I'm your host, Edie Sahesian. I was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis. I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back by finding our joy? The path to vitality. Does that seem attainable to you? To even jump on the path to get there, first of all, is the biggest hurdle. Secondly, what does vitality mean anyway? I hear it on all the commercials as some like state of being we all want to possess. Let's dig a little deep. You know, the Google people, they tell me that vitality is the state of being strong and active, having energy. Okay, now we're talking. Yeah, I want that 100%. I also read that vitality is the power of giving continuous life. Do you feel the clouds parting and blue skies and sun rays shining down on you now? Not yet. Maybe after this episode, you might begin to see the light. Laura, my guest today, knew that early on in her diagnosis, she was determined to live her life. Triathlons, running, and cycling, those were her jams. She was so into it that she became a personal trainer and a wellness coach and a nutrition specialist. Yep, all the things. She wanted to help others feel this vitality thing too. She actually promotes vitality over vanity, a philosophy. So I can't wait to talk to her about this and all of her stuff that she does. She goes hiking and mountain biking and she's a writer. So all of it we're about to get into. Let's chat it up with Laura Lee. Hi, how are you? Hi, Edie. Wow, that was great. Thanks. <laughs> the clouds are going to part. Thanks for joining. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're going to make all the I'm things here. happen yeah. today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. So we have big promises today, people, big promises. I hope we deliver. We'll examine that at the end of the show. Yeah. So Laura Lee, tell us a little bit about you and your diagnosis story and all that. Give us all the dirty deets. Yeah, sure. So it was 2006 and I was in my first year teaching and I thought I was healthy because I exercised, but I had been living a really unhealthy life, right? Stress was, uh, that first year was just through the roof. And I had really unhealthy eating habits. I had an unhealthy relationship with food and I wasn't getting sleep at all. I would stay up until midnight, lesson planning or grading, and then have to wake up the next day at 536. And, and so it was in the fall of 2006 and I woke up and I was like, oh, I've got this funny sunspot right over my right, right eye. And I didn't really think anything of it. And then it didn't get better. And two weeks later, I went to the optometrist, I went to the ophthalmologist, and everybody said, your eye looks fine. 
So I was like, that's odd. And so I called my mom and I was like having some funny issues with my eye. And she said, what do you mean you're having funny issues with your eye? And I was like, I can't really see out of it. And she said, oh my gosh, I'm flying out there right now. And I lived in Santa Fe at the time. And she said, I'm flying out there right now. And I was like, mom, no, it's okay. I'm fine. She has had MS. She's had MS for 50 years. And this is so interesting. When she, I was 26 at the time, she was 25. In her first year of teaching, she developed optic neuritis in the right eye. Stop it. That is so bizarre. I know. I know. And so she just had this kind of intuition. So she flew out there and we were able to see a neurologist and receive the diagnosis. And my mom was, I think, more worried than I was. When you're 26, you think you're invincible. You've got your whole life ahead of you. It was my first year teaching. And we talked to the doctor and I don't know, I was in denial. I didn't go on any medicine and I didn't change anything about my life or my lifestyle. I just thought, oh, I've got this, but I'm going to put it on the back burner. The following year, almost exactly a year later in 2007, I had optic neuritis in the left eye. And I thought, okay, this is a little scary. And the first time around, you go on a heavy dose of steroids, which were awful. They rip apart your stomach, which just makes you feel miserable. And so the eyesight, it came back, but it didn't come back fully. It came back about 80%. And then I went to the doctor with the left eye optic neuritis. And then I ended up going on the steroids again. The eyesight came back in the left eye 100%, which was good. And then I I decided to go on Copaxone. And I changed my lifestyle. I really started prioritizing all of these other areas of wellness. I started thinking about health and wellness much more holistically. I'd always been an exerciser and a runner. But I really started prioritizing and researching just every chance I could get. It just wanted to know everything about this condition, what I could do. I tried all kinds of diets. I think this was before the WALS protocol. And my mom had been following the Swank diet for almost her whole life. The whole process has been trial and error process. Really, that does lay the foundation for this program that I developed, which is the Path to Vitality program, which centers on what I believe are the four pillars of wellness and vitality for me, which is nutrition, exercise, sleep, and then mindset. And part of mindset is gratitude, of course, and stress management, and really just overall maintaining a positive and optimistic attitude. I really feel like those are the four pillars that are the keys to feeling better and living a healthy life. Now, I didn't come to that right away in that year. It was like over like maybe a 10-year process. But yeah, I guess that's all kind of my story. And I remember the uh, the nurse practitioner at the time that I was seeing, she said, you're probably going to be in a wheelchair in five years. And my doctor also told me at the time that I needed to really like basically stop exercising. At that time, I think they thought that exercising makes you overheated and that can exacerbate the symptoms. And I think that there was some sort of connection with that and then the progression of the disease, which now I I don't think is the case. I think a lot of doctors now are really promoting exercise. But anyways, but my doctor told me to stop exercising, stop overexerting yourself. And for me, I've been overexerting myself my whole life. As a kid, I played all the sports. I was running around as, as early as I can remember, always moving. I'd finish my homework and eat dinner, and then I'd go rollerblading until it was time for bed. I just, I couldn't stop moving. 
And so for my doctor to tell me that you need to stop moving, it, it was a real heartbreaker. And it kind of leads into one of my core values, which is authenticity. The first year I was in that state of denial. And then it was the second year that I really started to change things. And I took his advice that second year and I, I stopped exercising. I did some stretching and easy yoga, but I didn't run. I didn't hike. I really didn't do anything. And it was like my soul had died. I had died on the inside and it was not who I am. This is not who I am. I need to be active and move. And it just feels so good to move your body and to think that I can't do this because I might have an attack, which that's a very real situation too. And it was, yeah, it was a really, it was a really tough time for me that year. But then I eventually came to the conclusion, I have to do this. I have to be able to move my body. And so I started slowly and then getting back into it and becoming more active. That's kind of a long answer. Yeah, <laughs> No, no. <laughs> giving up things you love, that's really hard. For me, that would be like wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the exercise piece, when it's so ingrained in you and you love it so much and it fulfills you, I don't know what that would look like. I feel like, yeah, if somebody told me I couldn't do this podcast anymore, I'd have a hard time with that. Yeah. So. The other thing I realized too was that I was living my diagnosis. And yeah. I wanted to live my life, but I was letting my diagnosis really define me. And that was when I realized going back to that theme of authenticity was that I want to live my life, not my diagnosis. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. I want to get to the vitality pieces and all of this, but you brought up that component with your mom and there's a lot to unpack there because you had this person in your life all the time that had been living with them as you'd seen it, what initial thoughts went through your head when you were diagnosed knowing what your mom had dealt with? You know, at, at first, at first there was a little bit of guilt because as a kid, I remember when we'd be on a fun vacation somewhere and then we'd have to go back to the hotel so mom could take a nap or I'd want her to do something for me in the house and she was taking a nap and sleeping because of the fatigue or she was having trouble with her leg or her foot. And so the first thing that came was guilt because I didn't, as a kid, you're just in your own world. You're not really thinking about what your parents are going through. And then I started to really think about everything that my mom went through and raising us. And I have two sisters and raising three kids during that time. And so it really, I think it united us. We were pretty different, we definitely butt heads when I was younger. And I think it really helped to really develop our relationship. And she's my hero. She is such an amazing lady. She never complained. And if we needed anything, she would she would get up out of bed and help us. She would never say, no, I can't today. Just the self-sacrifice and the love that she had for us, despite her diagnosis. She's my light. She's my hero. She's my angel. And then when I was first diagnosed, she... Had some trouble in her early years. So in her late 20s, early 30s, throughout her 30s, she had various issues and various attacks. And the MRIs kept showing more and more lesions. And this is really interesting. She had a hysterectomy in her mid-40s. And then she never had an attack again. 
Really? No. And she never, she was never on medication. I think it was, this was in the 80s. So this was before, I think, medications. She had the fatigue and she had some of the symptoms that she already had, but she had no new lesions. She had no new attacks. I, I know it's, I don't know. I have, I have no idea. <laughs> if that's what I have to do, yeah, right. I'm there. Yeah. I know like, about that too, I mean- right? I hear about women doing really well when they're pregnant. Yes. Yes. Your hormones are changing. And I know when it's my time of the month, forget about it. Like my symptoms are there. They they are exacerbated. And so there, I don't know, there's something to think about, but it's really lovely that this terrible thing that's happened to both of you has actually brought you together. I wonder if when she ran to your side or flew to your side, I should say, during that first initial problems with your eyesight and all of that, what was her take on all of it? What did she have to say to you when all of that was going on? I imagine she was feeling maybe a bit vulnerable, a little scared for you, but can you share with us a little bit about maybe advice she gave you or anything? Yeah. Oh, she's giving me advice every, every day with this. And one of them is gratitude, but I'll get to that in a second. But the doctors told her that we weren't going to have it. Her children weren't going to have it. It's not genetic. Don't worry about it. And now they're still, they haven't made that connection yet now, but I think that they're realizing that okay, maybe there is an autoimmune gene that you can pass on that is hereditary. So she thought that there's no way that that we would have it. And she told me, she said, I feel so so badly that I've given this to you and that you're going to have to deal with this in your life. And I said, oh, mom, no, I've got you. <laughs> I'm great. She didn't have anybody. And yeah. it was just a blessing for me to be able to have her. But she's always always told us every day growing up, she would always say, as we were leaving to school, she would say, okay, give me a squeeze hand. And so we'd squeeze hands and she would say, all right, count your blessings. And uh, it's always, gratitude has always been a really important value of hers too as well. So let's get into that gratitude piece then. I'm loving that you brought that up because I I think it's a huge contributor to our mindset. And if we focus on the good things, more good things will come to us. That's my philosophy. So You have this whole vitality program, and I want to get into your pillars a little bit more. How does that gratitude component fit in? Oh, yeah. Love this. I love that you asked the question about gratitude. And there there, are so many things. There's so many things I could say about it, especially with my diagnosis. With regards to the program, it's a key component of this pillar that's mindset, and especially with MS. And with MS, this is hard, especially when you're having attack, but there's always a worse condition that you could be in. And I think always thinking about the positive, that's part of gratitude, right? I lost my eyesight and the gratitude piece came in. It's okay. At least I can see out of the other eye. At least I still have have my sight just in general and I can still move my body. And I think that's also really important is that this might be going on right now with you, which is terrible and awful, but it could always be worse. And I know that that's kind of an interesting way to think about gratitude, but that's also one way to think about counting your blessings, right? And being grateful for what you do have and what you are able to do. And I think with gratitude, it's not, especially with my program, the gratitude piece, gratitude is a mindset shift. It's not just like a one-time thing that you tell yourself to do. And this was something that I have really tried to incorporate in my life is you don't even think questions like, why me? You condition your mind 
to be always focused on gratitude so that those thoughts don't even come in. We do a gratitude journal and it's a 30 day gratitude journal. And I've got it right here. <laughs> it's handy dandy, right? You probably use it all I the do. time. So oh, right I do. There. It's a 30 yeah. day, but I've ordered quite a few for myself. And everybody <laughs> who does the program, I send them a gratitude journal. Oh. And it's a 30 day entry where it has prompts, it has morning reflections, evening reflections, and all of it is really focused on positivity and optimism and remembering what you have and the blessings that we have right now. I think that's pretty key to actually reflect on it. It's not just a fleeting thought. You're taking the time to sit down, work on you, even if it's just two minutes, and jot down some things for the day. I also like the fact that they give you prompts because sometimes I don't know what that flow might look like. Sometimes I just want to divulge my day and all the wonderful things, but sometimes it doesn't come so easily. And so having that prompt there is very helpful. I think that there's more intention with that process. And I'm really big on that. What is the purpose of this? What am I going to get out of it? Because if I'm not going to get things out of it, I'm not going to continue doing Mm -hmm. it. I feel you on that. Tell us a little bit more about your vitality over vanity. I like that (laughs) because sometimes I sweat and I don't want to go anywhere and show anybody. But all right, talk to me. me. The fitness industry can be so focused on appearance. Lose fat Mm. so you can look good in that swimsuit. And I think we need to flip the script. I think we need to focus on health and well-being. And then also just feeling good. I have the MS fatigue. (laughs) And it's real, especially the first two years of my diagnosis. It was, oh my gosh, the fatigue, especially when I wasn't exercising. It was just, it it debilitates you. You're out. And uh, I think that when it comes to feeling good, for those of us with MS, wow, we know how special that is to feel good, (laughs) right? Because you know what the opposite is. You know what it's like to really not feel good. And don't you want to feel good all the time? That's really kind of at the heart of the program. And we focus on the four pillars and each one is contingent upon the other, right? It's not like you can focus on one and not the other three. And that was what I started to do early in my diagnosis. I focused on exercise and then the nutrition piece, but then I'd still been neglecting, you know, the sleep and the stress management and, (laughs) and all four pillars are really interconnected. Something that I noticed too is with exercise, when I was a runner, and I was a runner before my diagnosis. And then, and then after the diagnosis, you know, I wasn't doing anything for that one year. And then I slowly transitioned to doing triathlons and then also cycling. And I'd also started doing some strength training. And I really started to feel really good. And I thought to myself, I thought I'm building more muscle. And as a runner, your body doesn't want muscle. You you don't really have a lot of muscle. But then I'd been, as a cyclist, I'd been building more muscle and then doing the strength training classes. And I started feeling really good. And so I thought to myself, I thought, like just in general for people, whether they have MS or not, when you have more muscle, you increase your metabolism. When you have a higher metabolism, you, you need to eat more, right? Because your body burns more calories just by existing. And then also it increases your daily energy, like energy on a daily basis. And so I thought, wow, I think that by adding more muscle to my body, I've increased my metabolism. I think I've countered the MS fatigue. And it it was like this epiphany. I thought, oh my gosh, if this can work for me, it can work for other people too. 
And that's why I became a personal trainer was to really focus on that one piece. And that's for people if they have MS or if they they don't have MS, if you want to feel good. But then of course, you need to focus on your nutrition, you need to get sleep. And then as we've talked about, you need to focus on stress management, having a mindset of gratitude, and then all four are really essential to vitality, feeling good, and then wellness and longevity. You're asking me to do the hardest thing, which is focus on myself. And it's not easy. It's a lot of work. And yeah, if you just do the nutrition, the other stuff is going to start compiling. Mm -hmm. And one of my major triggers is stress. So if I just worked on the diet, just worked on the movement, I don't think that'd be enough. It's got to be all of it in synergy. Mm -hmm. And so hearing you talk and the passion behind what you believe and having walked in the shoes and dealt with it already and deal with it every day, it's a lot easier to talk to you about it (laughs) because you've been there. And it's super interesting. You were doing triathlons and things before and you've transitioned to some lighter activity. Why the transition there? Oh, that's a oh, that's a good question. So I've been doing triathlons and I've been doing pretty well and not having trained, not working with a coach, just going out there doing spin classes, right? And then doing my own running thing, and yeah. maybe swimming. <laughs> the, swim, the swimming was always the weak link. Okay. And so I started working with a coach and she, she does what's called a, a VO2 max test. And then it also is a test that really just decides your zones, right? So the zone when you start breaking down glycogen and then fats, right? And then your zones. And really, if you're serious about training, you want to get this test done so you can train in the zones for those kind of endurance races. And so she did a VO2 max test with me and she worked with a lot of athletes and she actually did this testing as kind of her main job. She said, Laura Lee, your VO2 max is the highest that I've ever tested. I was like, I was like, whoa, Really? She told me the number, right? It was 68. And, uh, but that didn't mean anything to me. I was like, oh, yeah, no, 68. And then she was like, no, Laura Lee, that's really good. <laughs> and so anyways, and so she really believed in me. And, and she said, hey, let's see what your potential is. And mm. I was like, yeah. And, and so I decided to focus just on the cycling portion of it. And I thought, okay, so what if I just focus on this one thing and give it a hundred percent of everything. And I wanted to see how far I could go. I was really driven by this thought that, wow, maybe I could be professional and show people that, hey, if you have a mess, you can do professional sports. Yeah. But no. <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, it it didn't happen. And I think it was, it was the MS. It was the MS. What ended up happening was I ended up doing really well. So you start in a certain category. So you start as a category four. And then once you win a certain number of races, you do something called cat up, right? So you cat up, but you actually cat down to a three and then a two. And then category one is the professional level. And so the category twos race with the category ones. And to really prove yourself. And so I had made it to the category two level and I had actually, I did pretty well in the shorter races. So they're called criterium races and they're anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. 
and it's really fast. People are attacking each other. Your heart rate is like 180. It's woo, anaerobic. And I did pretty well in, in those kinds of races. And then when it got to the longer rides, the more endurance races, 60 mm. miles of racing, I would be with the pack and the speed wouldn't change. Their speed wouldn't change. And then all of a sudden it was like I hit the wall. Yeah. And people who have MS, you know what that feels like. But it's like all of a sudden I'd be pedaling at this speed, say like 25 with the pack, and then I'd just drop to 15. And I would try so hard. I would just like, come on, pedal body. Let's go, please pedal, pedal. And my legs just wouldn't, they wouldn't do it. And yeah. so that was it. That was the end. That was the end of. But you knew your limits though, right? And you did. What yeah. I love about yeah. that story is you didn't give up. You tried. You pushed yourself yeah. and you recognized that this isn't where I need to right. go. But you didn't give up. You just kept going. And I think that says a lot about who you are as a human being. Oh, thanks. Yeah, for sure. You're a thriver after <laughs> all. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> I hear. Yeah. Yes. Going back to your program a little bit. So I know that the pandemic changed a lot of things. And so is this online or do you need to be located near you? How does it work exactly? It is. It's all online. It's all virtual. And we have, it's eight weeks right now, but I think I really want to extend it to 12 because I feel like that's where you really start to see the real changes and especially with behavioral change. Mm -hmm. But we do personal training sessions twice a week for 30 minutes. And then there's oh. a wellness coaching portion. So we do wellness coaching once a week for about an hour and we set goals, right? So we set goals. We debrief from the week before what went well, what didn't. And then we set goals for the next week. And we also do certain topics, right? So certain topics centered on those four pillars. And then throughout the week, I check in and we email each other and text and how's it going? And then we also meet for those two personal training sessions. And then in addition to this, I have a Google Doc where you log in your nutrition, your resting heart rate. That's, I feel like that's really important for me with MS is that when my resting heart rate is high, I know I need to back it off. It's like I need to mm. rest. And, and then also, as you mentioned before, knowing your limits. So really knowing what your body feels like, I guess, with exercise. And that's something too, I think is really important for anybody, but then especially for people with MS, if you push it too hard, you could find yourself in a precarious situation, especially with exercise. Sure. And so really yeah. learning how to feel your body, feel when it's starting to go weak. And then, so things like that. So coaching in all of those areas and then, yeah, logging in those health metrics. Yeah, I really like that. Again, the intentionality of logging those things, the accountability measures that you're taking with people. And I think, what is it? 30 days is a habit. But I think extending that and really taking the time and putting the energy into you, yeah. I'd imagine leaving that program that those things are pretty solidified. And I love the personal attention component of all of it. These people are really blessed to be in your understudy. Oh, I don't okay. know what to go. No, I'm the one who's blessed. I've, oh, I love it. I love it. I love my clients. I love waking up and a lot of them train first thing in the morning. And I love starting my day training with them. And it fills me with joy and hope. It's fantastic. It's, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Isn't it like so interesting how you set out on a path and you think this is going to happen and then even some things we might call tragic occur, but it sets you on this new path that of happiness even that you didn't know existed and fulfillment by helping others. I commend you for that. From don't letting your diagnosis define you to counting your blessings and flip the script. Focus on what feels good. Why not? We need that. Yeah. I need to find joy in the things that I do and feel good as a result. I think that piece right there, because what you said before really resonated with me about the diet culture and things, and we're focused on looking good, but that's not really what it's about. And when people tell me, oh, I lost 10 pounds last month and I say, oh, that's great. What hard work you must've mm -hmm. put in. How do you feel? Yes. How do you feel? Because people can tell you you look good till the cows come home, but it gives you that vanity piece. It gives you reassurance. It tells you you're on the right track. But if you're not feeling good, like you were saying, if I'm doing that and I'm looking good, but I'm still not sleeping properly, yeah. then I'm not really going to be feeling at my best. So all of the things, we need all of that. So Lorley, thank you so much for being here and enlightening us today. Tell us where people can find oh, you. Oh, great. Yeah, Edie, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. This was my first podcast. Woo! <laughs> Woohoo! She yeah. did it, boys and girls, Woo! and it was great. So on, on social media, I'm Wellness with LL. And my okay. website is wellnesswithll.com. And I'm also on Facebook, Wellness with LL, and also LinkedIn. Wonderful. She's all over the place, yeah. you guys. So there's no reason not to be able to touch base with her, find out a little bit more about who she is and what she represents as well as her program. Thank you so much for bringing such vitality to us Thrivers today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks. You. And Edie, thank you for everything that you do. Having a podcast like this is so wonderful. I've been, I mentioned this, I've been following you for a while. And it's just so great for those of us who have MS and to be able to hear everybody else's stories. It's, I think that's really important. So you're doing really good work. Thank you. Thank you so much. Somebody messaged me the other day. I'd never spoken to her before and she's, I've listened to every show and it's just, I just was diagnosed last week. And it has helped me to really understand that this isn't the end. There, oh, there's a sure. lot more living to yeah. do. A lot more living oh, to do. Sure. So thanks for, thank you for sharing your story with all the thrivers. I hope you and everybody listening keeps thriving. Thanks, Edie. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. Visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, my blog, and lots more. See you next time when we chat it up with another autoimmune warrior on the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. Keep thriving. Keep thriving.